Hey, everybody, before we get started on the uh, exciting, fun, new movie journal for this week, I have an exciting, fun, new announcement to make, which is that the Battleship Retention book, Battleship Retention's top 101 movies of the 2010s, uh, will be available soon. So soon, in fact, that pre-orders on uh, BattleshipRetention.com will, will be available Sunday the 13th. Sunday the 13th. A spooky, spooky day. But not at BattleshipRetention.com. That's where you go for uh, pre-orders. To pre-order the book, if you... Uh, this book, the, the list of the top 101 movies of the 2010s was voted on by you all. Uh, and then um, we did write-ups for each one of them. Uh, Tyler and, and Scott and I and, and uh, all of the other... Uh, your other favorite BattleshipRetention.com Contributors. So I wanted to give you a heads up that December 13th, uh, the book will be available. It will likely, almost certainly, not ship before Christmas, in, in case that's what you're wondering. But uh, uh, if you wanted to give someone a confirmation email for Christmas, we can make that happen on Sunday, December the 13th, Sunday, December 13th, or thereafter. Uh, so that's the announcement. Head over there on Sunday. And until then, enjoy the movie journal. Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Now, uh, Tyler, normally the sound we have to contend with um, is the that infernal ice cream truck in sure. your neighborhood. But yeah. right now, the fucking fuzz is looking for somebody. There's been a oh. helicopter in my neighborhood with a, with a, a, a spotlight on for the last half hour or so maybe they're going away but i can still see them in the sky so uh maybe uh you might hear uh, a helicopter um i'm not gonna look if even if i knew where the guy was i wouldn't rat him out little does david know that they're looking for him because of a tip that tyler called in <laughs> um, they're wasting a lot of gas uh, <laughs> i'm not hard to find um uh, yeah, no, not, no, not police, no ho police are notoriously incompetent. <laughs> um, yes, although now, see, now you've you just that's a little, uh, uh, you just uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, invoked a, a burr in my saddle because you said no ho police, but oh, okay, North Hollywood is a neighborhood in the city of Los Angeles, it's not sure, it doesn't have its own police force. There's just, I think I've got my theories. I think it's, but, it's a, you know, private police force, uh, that, uh, you know, the, the mayor of NoHo employs, <laughs> but I think what happens, see, there's a thing. And I, I never used to care about this until 10 years ago when I became a, a Valley boy. Now I'm, mm. now I'm 818 till I die. Um, but, uh, I think ever since the eighties and like the Valley girl movie and the Valley girl Frank Zappa song and all that stuff. Like yeah. I think people have tended to think of the Valley as being something apart from the city of Los Angeles, right. as opposed to a part of the city of Los Angeles, which is what it actually is. So except I tend to get, Bur except Burbank, except Burbank, its own thing. And there's a couple of like, um, Calabasas, I think is its own thing. Um, okay. this, even though it's the San Fernando Valley, the city of San Fernando is its own tiny, yeah. tiny little town in the, in the middle of it. Uh, yeah. 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 So there are a few municipalities that are their own, their own cities, but for the most part uh, the San Fernando Valley is 
in the city of Los Angeles. And I maybe uh, I should have maybe I should have said the NoHo precinct, uh, yeah, yeah. which is actually quite close to you, I believe. Right, very close to me. Yes, that's so, why they can't find you. They keep overshooting. <laughs> they know they don't know you're that close. Uh, yeah, the um, literally when I every day when I walk my dog, I see the back entrance to the NoHo uh, police station. It's two blocks from here. Yeah. Um. Anyway fucking pigs uh let's um, <laughs> let's, let's just get started on the movies because i've got uh, a number to get through because i've yeah. been uh, uh i'm in end of the year mode i guess i'm watching a lot of stuff including clear i'm going to start with a clear end of the year uh contender uh, okay. that's me being tongue-in-cheek uh this is luke greenfield's half brothers which is okay. a um road trip comedy um that is uh interesting to me that i i like stepping outside from the movie which is terrible just the idea that studios you know this is like a universal uh movie um uh studios and and major like mini studios and stuff uh, are are making movies that are made for an american audience with the understanding that an american audience increasingly includes a large number of latinos um uh you saw with uh the um, the cop i think the cops found their man that's the the fire oh okay yeah i also live within uh i'm even closer to a fire station than i am to the police station so um that's what you're hearing now okay anyway um I was thinking about a, a couple of years ago, there was the overboard remake in which, um, right. the, the, not only was it gender flipped, but the, the, the man who was playing the Goldie Hawn role was also was playing a Mexican. And so a lot of the movie was in Spanish with subtitles. And so half brothers is a similar thing. It's a broad, dumb road trip, buddy comedy. It's, you know, like, uh, I was going to compare it to due date. Todd Phillips due date, but I never actually sure. saw that, but that seems like a, like a second or third tier okay uh well i guess it's not as good um the premise is that there's uh this it starts in the 90s and there's this boy this mexican boy uh, and his dad after the 1994 um mexican peso currency crisis which i didn't really know about it. that's one thing in the movie's favor it was educational i didn't really know about this currency crisis uh, uh it was spurred kind of a recession and so his father goes to america to try and make some money to you know to send back home or maybe you know bring his family to america but his father ends up just staying in america leaving their family getting married and started a new life in america so now here we are present day 26 years later and uh this old man now is dying and this son who has made quite a bit of himself he's now like a you know a self-made millionaire um uh hasn't talked to his father since he left the family is like fine i'll go see my father on his deathbed before he dies and that's when he finds out he has an american brother half brother Hmm. um and uh their dad, who I should have mentioned was established in the early part, is a bit of a, uh, he likes sort of scavenger hunts and, and, and stuff like that, um, uh, little puzzles. He's, he, as he's dying, his dying wish is he basically sends his two sons on um, this journey together to pay, follow these clues. And, and so we, through this, we learn about, you know, we had made certain assumptions about this man who abandoned his family and started a new life. And we learn from his point of view what happened since he came to america a quarter century ago and also these two brothers get to know each other so it's you like can a see family I, thing uh 
it is it's not as good as a family thing okay um uh and so you see that a lot of this stuff kind of writes itself um and there's not necessarily a, a bad thing sometimes certain narrative structures work for a reason uh, and there are things that work in this but it's really it's a comedy and it's not funny and that's the the main the main problem is that comedies that are not just not funny but unfunny yeah. are uh, among the most difficult things to to watch and i would say the biggest problem unfortunately is the american half brother who is essentially speaking of todd phillips movies um and speaking of zach galifianakis he's essentially like zach galifianakis in the hangover except he's not funny he's just all the obnoxious parts okay and so the movie seems to think that obnoxiousness is comedy sure when really it just gets old very very quickly um the 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 rest of the cast uh includes uh unfortunately not on screen together but um uh jose zuniga and uh vincent spano who were both in alive which i watched so much as i watched alive many many times as a kid weird kid was i yeah what an odd (laughs) movie to latch on to um uh but i was i i was hooked as a kid by the plane crash sequence which probably still holds up i don't know it's been a while since i've seen it but i think probably still holds up um and then uh yeah, and then I'd get suckered in and I'd watch the whole movie. So I've seen a lot of at least a half dozen times. Um, so it's fun seeing those two uh, actors. Although, again, they don't share any scenes together, unfortunately. Right. Um, but yeah, I've uh, I've gone on too long. To, you can read my review. Um, it's, it's the movie, but the movie does have, it's weird. Like I mentioned, the currency crisis. At each stop along the uh the 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 route the route the the movie seems to have a sort of a different facet of the immigrant experience through these flashbacks to their father's you know younger man days a different facet of the immigrant experience to to shine a light on and those sequences like i think are actually really interesting on their own but jar clash completely with the tone of the rest of the movie which is like a you know um it's like a a tamer dirty grandpa type of like raucous like okay uh uh comedy they also steal a goat at one point and spend the rest of the movie with a goat the goat is the best cast member in the entire movie sure um and that is that is very hangover-esque uh and and very due date-esque yeah 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 so it feels like that um yeah i can't really uh recommend it what i can recommend and i believe is i'm I'm so bad at these i'm a tyler i try to like you know that i have this thing where i don't want to feel like i'm out of touch uh, yes i'm aware of that but when there are technological changes i am kind of a slow adapter i like because i i have trouble i just have trouble adjusting like sure. i couldn't going back to the you know, when we started, I couldn't really wrap my, when you were telling me what podcasts were, I couldn't really wrap my head around the idea of a radio show that you could listen to at any time, which now that I say it makes sense, but I couldn't until I started actually like engaging with them. So that said the new, I cannot wrap my head around how movies are released now where they're doing this, like, uh, this is in the theater, but then two weeks later it's on VOD. And I keep thinking that everything is just on VOD immediately. And I can't like, I can't train myself to learn how movies are being released. If that makes sense. Well, I don't think you're alone in this. I, I think the, uh, the distributors uh, and the, the studios okay. themselves are a little bit confused. 
So uh, a movie that I think you can watch on Amazon Prime now, but maybe you can soon, is the new film from Julia Hart, I'm Your Woman. And I love this movie with a capital L. I think Tyler, you would dig it immensely as well. Um, Rachel Brosnahan, um, uh, the, you know, the marvelous Mrs. Basil. Um, she plays, uh, the suburban wife of a career criminal played by Bill Heck from, uh, 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 of Buster Scruggs. He's the, 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 in, in the, in the yes. girl who, what is it? The girl who got rattled? Is that what it's I called? I believe so. Yeah. He's the heroic type of, yeah. Uh, or okay. at least the, the, not the older guy, but you know, yeah. the handsome man, uh, yeah, in the, her, her bow, but not her. Yeah, I guess, not but they the, never not, really yeah. get together. But right. Anyway, we don't need to litigate the battle of Buster Scruggs. Good movie. Indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he, uh, she doesn't really, she knows he's a career criminal. She's not in the dark about that, but she doesn't actually have any idea what he does when he goes and says, I'm going to be gone for the next couple of nights or whatever. So then, uh, and they have an infant son and, uh, then one night, one of his business partner, one of his business partners is, you know, uh, uh, cohorts, um, sure. uh, whatever, um, comes into their house in a, uh, in a, in a doll in a tizzy and says, we've got to get you out of here, pack everything you can. He, pulls out a bunch of money that she didn't even know her husband had stashed. And then he sends her to go meet with a guy who then, so the rest of the movie is, um, uh, this woman sort of being shuffled from safe house to safe house and learning more and more about who her husband was. And then eventually she actually becomes, uh, so it starts on being like this sort of, a like a, a Rosencrantz and Guildenstern type view of a different movie. Like you can imagine like another movie where we're seeing uh, the trouble that Bill Hicks, Bill Hicks character right. is, is going through. And so it starts off kind of like that interesting perspective, but then she ends up sort of getting involved and it becomes uh, a crime thriller in its own right with Rachel Brosnahan as the lead. Um, it's also set in the 1970s. It's shot in Pittsburgh. I guess it takes place in Pittsburgh. I don't know if Pittsburgh is having some sort of, renaissance with uh, between happiest season and i'm your woman we're getting to pittsburgh movies uh in in short succession maybe that's the new atlanta or or new orleans or sure. uh, or whatever uh maybe we'll, maybe we'll be getting pittsburgh movies uh left and right i'm all for it not having ever been to pittsburgh um, george romero paved the way yeah i have had those sandwiches with the french fries on them that's uh that's a pittsburgh thing um you get a sandwich with coleslaw and French fries, except the coleslaw and French fries are on the sandwich. They're between the two pieces of bread. It's your entire like yeah. sandwich plate. Is everybody in one sandwich. just like in a rush? <laughs> they must be. <laughs> I can't be eating these three separate things. <laughs> they must be. But yeah, there was a, uh, uh, my video store in Chicago, just up the street, there was a, uh, like a bar and grill that I think was run by, people from pittsburgh and they had uh those sandwiches so i would get them sometimes hmm. um anyway uh so yeah it takes place in the 1970s uh lots of uh, uh this is i i'm not sure who uh produced the movie it's not it's still like an indie but it's clearly from from the maker of miss stevens and fast color and then she actually did make a disney movie this year uh star girl that premiered uh on on disney plus but uh, she's graduated to clearly a higher budget here on I'm your woman. Cause the, the period details, the period cars, uh, not just the costumes, but like I said, there's lots of locations. So there's entire city blocks dressed as, as the seventies. Um, and I feel like, uh, I, 
I really like uh, Julia Hart. I like her interest in character, but also her ability to execute on a uh, just a thrilling sort of genre type level. It's the she has the kind of uh, uh, talent that is the impressive and accessible in such a way that makes me fear that she's going to get snatched up by Marvel or someone and have to make one of their like characterless uh, movies because she does, you know, there's a big car chase at the end and it's like, that's, she clearly knows her way around like uh, uh, genre filmmaking. It's a really well-made film, but also uh, like I said, very, very character based. Uh, And also uh, an actor I know is a character actor. I know is a favorite of yours and mine. Frankie Faison uh, shows up uh, in this movie and he's, he's great. So uh, that's all right. So that's, uh, I mean, a woman. And then next up, Oh man, I have uh, so many things to say about this next movie which um, is not a new movie. It's a movie that I haven't seen. I hadn't seen before, but we watched because of the season. Watched Nancy Myers The Holiday. Oh, and okay. uh, I loved it. I'm nuts about it. I think uh, I like Nancy Meyer uh, to, to some extent. There's a lot of stuff I haven't, um, I haven't seen, but I like what I've seen for the most part. Um, but I have so many thoughts about... Okay, so the movie itself is just like, I love the characters. Have you? I'm sorry, have you seen it? Uh, no, but it was actually recently uh, purchased for Jen and I as a present, and uh, and I had heard good things about it. So I would uh, I would like to I would like to watch it, and I know that it's you know uh, fits with the season, and we are trying to watch uh, Christmas mu- movies where we can. So uh, yeah, I may I may try and work it into uh, the rotation this year. Yeah, I mean it has that Nancy Myers thing of being kind of. Um let's charitably say aspirational meaning it's about people who live uh lives of luxury and incredible yeah. convenience where they they have the privilege to worry about uh bullshit all the time and yeah. not go to work if they don't uh, have to and just hang around um you know in cable knit sweaters um but i i i loved it um jack black is an un uh, unconventional like romantic comedy type of lead but um i i buy of the two romances in the movie i definitely see what kate winslet and jack black's characters see in each other more than what cameron diaz and jude law's characters see in each other other than them both being as attractive as cameron diaz and diaz and jude law that probably goes a long way uh you know it's like if i if it's like you you're chatting with someone at the bar or whatever and you find out you have something in common you're from the same city or whatever cameron cameron diaz and jude law are like oh you're incredibly attractive and i'm incredibly attractive we probably have something to talk about um but uh but he so i i very much recommend it a couple things i want to address okay about this movie um and the thoughts that i had around it so it came out in 2006 i watch it the movie immediately feel it it feels like it's from a different era it feels like a very mid-2000s movie um similar to how i felt months ago earlier in the quarantine when i watched southland tales uh, which is from the same year i think um it's weird to think that something that feels, I guess this is just the getting older thing, but the holiday came out after I moved to Los Angeles. So it feels like it's from an entirely different time, but I, that's how long I've lived in Los Angeles is that we've gone through different, I guess, epochs <laughs> whatever in, oh, yeah, in, in cinema. Um, but also do you ever have the thing where I guess certain bits of pop culture seem to age differently. So I'm watching to I'm watching this movie, the holiday 2006. Yeah. 
And there's a part where Cameron Diaz is singing along to Mr. Brightside by the Killers. And I had this like cognitive dissonance where I was like, that song can't be that old, but it is. (laughs) um, But I think of the Killers as like a, a, I guess, yeah, I guess they have been on along, but I feel like, I feel like the killers are perpetually from like 10 years ago to me. I don't know why that is. Um, so it was weird to, to be like watching a movie that felt like felt old and then hear a song that I didn't think was that old, but it is. What is it? I forget if, if someone like specifically said this, but like that the idea that anything that whether it be like a movie or, or music or whatever, like anything that came out after you graduated college feel, it just feels new anything before that you can sort of put it in that perspective but it's like well i'm an adult now and so everything is uh you know the stuff i didn't grow up with i mean that's that must be fairly recent and then you realize like oh no i'm i've been out of college for a while recent doesn't mean what it used to uh yeah. you know recent in the grand scheme of things i suppose uh but in my life yeah no, no i definitely really. i struggle with that and i try to like keep some perspective and realize that uh time keeps moving forward and yeah (laughs) um that the 90s were not 10 years ago um um, another thought that i had and this is about you specifically tyler okay because you uh uh i can't remember why but you recently put me on the defensive uh by saying you said something about how I'm the only person you know who ever talks about the Santa Ana winds. <laughs> yes. the, the Santa Ana winds play a big part in the holiday, and it made me realize that that's on Tyler. Angelinos are obsessed with the Santa Ana winds. They love talking about these weird, mystical, very specific winds that have a name that no one knows what it comes from. Like this is, I think, oh. I think that's as a, this is a blind spot on your part because I feel like people talk about the Santa Ana winds all the time. Who are these people? I know, uh, well, pe- I know people here, <laughs> people that have grown up here, people that, uh, that li- have lived here for many years. Okay. But I, I know people here. Um, but, but I'm saying, but these things happen where you suddenly, you, you somehow just like fall into a weird niche where maybe sure. you weren't ever paying attention, but I'm telling you that people, Angelinos are, preoccupied if not obsessed at least preoccupied with the santa ana winds it's a fascinating thing and uh uh multiple screenplays um like the holiday and uh an entire uh episode of crazy ex-girlfriend like people the the santa ana winds are a thing people think about Uh, um and you know you're not this wouldn't be the first time that you had a weird blind spot tyler Sure. Do you remember one of the most bizarre things? <laughs> this is not on on Mike. So if you so end up now, wanting, so now you're going to turn this around and make me look like a jerk. This is what I was going to say. You can stand the idea that you're the only person that I've ever heard talk about the fucking Santa Ana winds outside of a meteorologist. But uh, yeah, but people talk about them all the time. Um, but do you remember? But because this wasn't on mic, you can cut this out if you want. Okay. But I remember this was forever ago. I think when you had first moved here and you were at your you know apartment so mm-hmm. two homes ago and i was talking about like i'd come just come from the store or whatever and i was talking about a new hoodie that i'd purchased and i do you sure. remember this story no oh okay so i was talking about this new hoodie and i said it better than my old hoodie blah, blah blah and i caught you and jenny giving like a smirking look to each other and i was like what are you guys laughing about? And you guys, this was like how we knew you and Jenny are perfect for each other. Cause you were both like hoodie. Like, Oh, okay. 
the thing that a hooded sweatshirt has been called for at least my entire life you guys thought was some weird like idiosyncratic thing that i was making up like you'd never heard of a hoodie before in like 2007 and i feel like and what's interesting is like for whatever reason and and that's the thing is you know i've lived more places than you i'm more i'm better traveled than you i'm just all around i've had more experience dealing with people but whatever it's fine that's anna, anna wins thing and the hoodie thing like that's I, it's my fault but uh no it's okay one of those i didn't say like, i didn't i didn't <laughs> assign blame no no i know um but it's because uh, i okay i will because i will put myself on blast and you weren't on this episode okay when i like it was with weird Weird pairing, but it was Jason Eakin and Sean Ingram were on an episode together with me while you were at at this apartment. It was at your home and you weren't there and we were doing an episode. And I, having heard the word segue my entire life. Sure. And having seen the word S-E-G-U-E written my entire yeah. life i said on the podcast i said let's see into another uh and, and, and jason and sean both made fun of me on the podcast uh, it's something they could uh, bond over but you yes. know what so so i'm saying when I, this is just to say i'm not uh immune to having weird blind spots so i so i but i'm saying in the entire be spelled that way though i agree with that like it's, <laughs> it makes no sense at all um, um but what i'm saying is Okay, in 15 years, you've had two. One of them is Santa Ana wins. One of them is hoodie. That's it. And it is it is odd. I mean, I use the term hoodie now, but it's it is odd that like maybe it's just the the places that I've lived, you know, which is California and Colorado and Missouri, and just I had never really heard because now that you now that you mention it, it's like I don't remember that story, but I definitely think of the word hoodie as going back to what we were talking about relatively recent, like as a, as a, a term that is used, like I think sweatshirt is just the only thing I had ever heard as like a catch all for hoodie for something that zips up, something that doesn't, whatever it is. Like, I think I just heard sweatshirt for everything except maybe so, hooded sweatshirt. And that was yeah, well, if you're referring to a sweatshirt with a hood, so you're saying you would have said hooded sweatshirt. I probably would have just said sweatshirt. I, I would not have. I'm not looking for more syllables. Um, but how do you, but you need, like, sometimes you need to communicate that this has a hood. It's a selling it's point, to, I think. I think it's safe to say that I've, ne- that up to that point, uh, I never needed to talk about it. Um, okay. But it was weird I, that, I never, like, you and Jenny both, like, you're, like, yeah. t- it was perfect you're like you you were like those amazing race team members who uh had both never heard of a rickshaw before oh please don't put me in with them uh you know if they're they're gonna be on amazing race they need to know these things they should need to know about rickshaws i just just run across this stuff randomly but i'll tell you one thing that i don't know about but i chose to jump into it and this gets into my movie uh or one of the movies that uh that uh, i watched so I hope you know that was all in good fun. I was not like putting you on blast to just No, it's it's okay. fine, you know. It's uh God forbid anything just be against you and just be out there in the ether. Uh it all has to come back around to me and my limited viewpoint because I'm a conservative and that's how it works. Uh, oh, that's I, what this is about. What? Okay. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> I'm joking. Um so you know, it's one of those things, and I'm sure you've run across this as well. We, we're in the end of the year, you know, there are movies uh-huh. that we should be watching. And yet oh, yeah. there's a film that, that strikes your fancy and it's, it's a 20, you know, it's a, it's a recent movie. It's a 2020 movie. And you're like, you know what? I'll give this a shot. So 
I was intrigued by the Hulu documentary directed by Vikram Gandhi, 6 9 The Saga of Danny Hernandez, which is about Takashi 6 9 uh, who is a... Uh, the rapper? The rapper, yes. And I knew very little about him. I think the first thing I had heard about him, I didn't know anything about his music or anything like that. I think the first thing I had heard about him was uh, somewhat recently he was in court basically like snitching on a lot of people. Um, and... See, I think you, this is, we're turning things around. I think you, even before watching this documentary, knew more about Takashi 69 than I did. Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't think I even in the moment, because, you know, he has tattoos all over his face. And so, like, seeing that person in a suit, uh, uh, you know, in a courtroom setting, like, I saw images of that. And then people saying, like, oh, so-and-so okay. snitched on people. And it's like, I don't even know who this is. But the image struck me. So that was the thing. So wasn't, maybe this is more, maybe that's more recent. I knew he was a rapper and I also know he's not liked by a lot of people, not for his talents, but didn't he go to jail for something else? He did. He's, uh, I think a couple of times. Um, okay. I say, I think it, it's covered in the documentary, but I don't remember uh, all the details. Okay. So it's, it's about this guy who, the film is not that particularly good. It's informative, but only in sort of the most superficial way. I was curious about, I'd seen a, a trailer for it and I was curious about it because like, oh, this looks like it's going to be an interesting uh, perspective because it's it's a guy who got famous. Like his biggest is, and other people say this in the documentary, his, his primary talent is knowing how to use the internet uh, and knowing how to like, utilize Instagram uh, in, and YouTube in order to like maximize views, which often means, you know, like he didn't care why people were watching his stuff as long as they were, a, you know, a view is a view and that's all that really matters. And so he would say really inappropriate things. And so he was kind of a troll, but he also, he did write his own music and he was, his, his songs were very popular with some people. And then he, in order like it's just so much about his persona is manufactured and after a certain point he decided to manufacture uh being part of like uh being part of a, a gang the the bloods specifically and decided to back that up by becoming part of the bloods and that led to uh, racketeering charges and that's where the snitching came from um okay. and so the the documentary just kind of and he's young he's like 23 at this point uh so it it just covers like all of this just this, the weird way that his life unfolded. And so the film really, more than anything, you can tell that the director is trying to sort of take this one story and make it about the, about like the modern day and the role the internet plays in our lives and that sort of thing. Uh, but in doing so, he also, I think, despite interviewing a lot of people and uh, incorporating interviews with uh, Danny Hernandez, uh, it, it it seems thorough, and yet you really don't have a you know all the stuff that happened, but you don't really know why. Mm -hmm. So the director starts to sort of hypothesize why, and in doing so, you can tell he's. It's not even so much that he's he's reaching. I think it's a fair assumption that his his conclusions are probably probably correct at least in a broad sense but just the way that he gets there it just feels like he so badly wants to arrive at a certain place that he's sort of forcing it and so i think the film is just it feels incomplete it somehow feels rushed rushed even though it's it's fairly thorough and 
I was just, I was hoping that it was going to be a really interesting portrait of this kid, basically, who just was so eager for attention and fame that he found himself falling in with a very bad crowd, not to suggest that he is free from, um, from blame or responsibility, but that, uh, or, or I wanted it to be this, this larger, you know, this larger, uh, exploration of, of the, the impact of the internet on a younger, uh, a younger artist or whatever. Uh, and it, it tries to be both of those, but doesn't really go far enough in either way. So the film does wind up being, I mean, mildly interesting, uh, as a portrait of this person that I have no connection with at all, uh, but that's kind of as that's as far as it goes. It's mildly interesting, okay. uh, but it's not particularly insightful, even though it very clearly wants to be. Um, and so it's available on Hulu if people want to want to check it out. I don't think it's particularly it's been particularly well received, at least as far as uh, letterboxed users. That's for sure. Um, but uh, but yeah, so, so that's so with all the movies out there that yeah. I haven't seen from 2020, this is the one I chose to see. Is it? It's criminally it's focused mostly on this the gang thing because sorry i i looked him up i know i um get on your case for looking up the movie i'm talking about while mm. <laughs> while i'm doing it but i was like what did i hear but before that there was domestic violence and there was a thing with like a naked 13 year old girl in a in a video yeah and some other things that that's what i had heard i, yes, I think it's it covers yes it does cover all of that and i think he did I think he went to jail once, I think for the, for the, the, the girl, or he might've been on probation. I don't remember exactly. Um, cause he was young as well. Um, so yeah, it's there, there's a lot going on. Like he's, he's not a good person <laughs> by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. You know, I don't mean to suggest that, Oh, he's this, this, this innocent kid corrupted by other people. No, no, no. He made a, a lot of horrible choices and, uh, and probably should have spent a lot longer in jail than he did. All right. Well, I guess I'm up next. Uh, I will discuss. I keep forgetting to look up to pull up the director's names, but I watched a, a, a brand new movie called Farewell Amor, um, A-M-O-R. Uh, yeah. Okay. So uh, directed by Equa Msangi and uh, it takes place in new york city it's about an angolan family the father had 17 years before left angola right after the civil war in angola and had come to america to try and uh get things set up for his wife and then infant daughter to come live with them it took him 17 years but his wife and daughter whom they they've been speaking on the phone facetiming regularly but they haven't actually seen each other in person in 17 years and now it's they're they're coming into his life that he's made as a, as a cab driver in, in New York city. Um, and, uh, the thing they sort of have in common is that their daughter is very interested in dance. The father and the mother, when they were young in Angola met by dancing together. So it's kind of a dance movie in its at least outlook, but the problem is not enough dancing. There's very little actual dancing in this movie, which feels like a a, a, a bad move. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to see more more dancing. There's um, the movie's sort of cleverly like I don't know if it's clever, but it's got a scheme to it in which it um, the uh, first we see his story, then we see the daughter's story, then we see the mom's story, and then the last sort of act or whatever it, they sort of come come together. Um, the problem is that, is that some of the stories are more interesting than 
the, than, than others. Um, uh, but, uh, I can't, I'm not going to go into too much detail. You can read my, I was going to say you can read my review. Uh, it might not be posted by the time you're hearing this, depending on when I posted it and when I post this, not <laughs> um, enough dancing, which is something you work into almost all of your reviews yeah. except for a, a few <laughs> movies where you feel like too much. Well, I, like, here's another thing I'll say about it. One of the things that's the, the bits of conflict is that since they've grown apart or they've been a part of these 17 years, the mother has become much more religious, much more Christian religious mm-hmm. and is she's not full on like John Lithgow and footloose, sure. like dancing is sin, but she doesn't really approve of her daughter's interests. Right. Um, but the difference is footloose has plenty of dancing in it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just kept being like, why, why are they keeping all the dancing off screen? Is the, maybe or, the movie, is the movie on the mother's side? <laughs> maybe it is. <laughs> uh, all right. Next, I watched the, uh, the new movie from John Patrick Shanley, who made Joe versus the volcano in doubt, but I never saw a doubt. He made Joe yeah. versus the volcano. Uh, it's called wild mountain time. T H Y M E. It's named after, uh, an old, I guess, Irish song that the characters sing in the movie. It stars Jamie Dornan from the fall in 50 shades of gray, uh, and Emily Blunt. Um, I, Jamie Dornan might be Irish. I don't think Emily Blunt is Irish, but she's doing an Irish accent. Uh, also doing uh, an Irish accent in this movie is Jamie Dornan's father, Christopher Walken. And look, I'm not Irish, so I can't judge, but it sounded pretty good to me. Sure. Um, better than I would have, would have thought. And then, um, doing his regular dumb old American accent, John Hamm. Uh, <laughs> take a risk. <laughs> well, he is playing an American, so it would be weird actually if he st- started talking like the, the lucky charms, uh, <laughs> leprechaun. <laughs> um, but, uh, so the idea is that uh, Jimmy Dornan and Emily Blunt's characters grew up on neighboring farms. Now both their parents are sort of dying off and they're inheriting their parents' farms or they might be inheriting their parents' farms. Christopher, Wal- Christopher Walken is not sure. He wants to leave his farm to his son, Jimmy Dornan, um, because uh, of the fact that he's unmarried and, and he uh, wants it to be a family and he doesn't he doesn't it's a whole thing he doesn't like his late wife's family he does so he, uh, he uh, would rather give so he's considering leaving the farm to his brother's son who grew up in america played by john okay. ham uh, so that it stays on basically his side of the family that's the the plot but really this movie just seems to be an excuse for john patrick shanley to uh write kind of sometimes fun and poetic but often uh overly self-aware ridiculous dialogue um it's one of those things you've got emily blunt is a great actress yeah but whether she's talking or jamie dornan's talking or anyone else is talking all i'm really hearing is john patrick shanley do you know what i mean mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. um uh it, the a lot of what happens is kind of like i use the word ridiculous already uh it, it um it strains credulity, but sometimes there's a certain sense of fun to that. Like, I can't say that I fully disliked watching the movie. It's sometimes very charming. The parts where people sing, see like Farrell Moore didn't have enough go. dancing. <laughs> this movie's got enough singing in it. All right. Um, I mean, it's really just that song wild mountain time that like three different people perform over the course of the movie. All right. Um, uh, the movie definitely has its its charms, um, but it does feel like, and John Patrick Shanley was a, 
and then is a, a, a playwright. And it definitely feels like the later work of a celebrated playwright who's so into his own yeah. or her, but in this case, his own uh, um, reputation as a writer that is just like, I, I'm sure John Patrick Shinley feel, feels he could do he could do no wrong with what he's 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 saying. It's it's a little bit uh, too um, uh, trying to find a nice uh, or at least a more academic way of saying up his own ass. Sure, <laughs> but it's it's kind of that. Uh, Mamedian, Mamesian. <laughs> I don't know. Like yeah. after a certain point, like yeah. I mean, the same thing describes David Mamet, and even and even when I enjoy his movies, like the way the like you said, everyone sounds like. John Patrick Shanley, you know, you watch stuff like something like Spartan, a movie I adore, but nonetheless, like when the characters are speaking, it's like, it's like you're speaking another language, but it's still English. Like, how is that even possible? Yeah. But that's, it's absolutely yeah. how it is. I would, I would compare this more, maybe not as bad as this can be, but a little bit more to Aaron Sorkin. Sure. But, sure. um, at least he's like Aaron Sorkin is pleased with himself in terms of as a writer and also with his, uh, positions on things and, sure. and, and his, uh, he, he, th- uh, Aaron Sorkin doesn't just seem to think he's writing great dialogue. He thinks he's changing the world with every, uh, yes. <laughs> with every monologue. Yeah. Uh, Jeff doesn't quite go that far. Yeah. He's got a, he's got a space on his shelf for that Nobel prize. Anytime. <laughs> uh, all right. And then third up for me is the, um, newest small acts film. So another Steve McQueen film called Alex Wheedle, Alex Wheedle. Um, and this is, um, I, I would say I had some of the complaints, and again, I still mostly liked Red, White, and Blue. But some of the complaints that I had about Red, White, and Blue are technically true of Alex Weedle as as well, and that it feels a little uh, truncated and and um, uh, overly focused to the point of almost having blinders on. But here, that seems like kind of a an asset. It's just the the, the story that he's telling. So uh, Alex Weedle, the 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 character is. Um, He's a, a black Englishman, but he was raised in an orphanage um, um, in Surrey, not in London, mm-hmm. uh, among, you know, raised by white, I guess, foster parents or whatever, uh, among all white kids. And now he's an adult and he's moved to London and he's moved into the neighborhood, uh, a neighborhood full of, he's meeting other black people in, and en masse for the first time. And not only other black people, but uh, London, you know, an urban, uh, setting as opposed to, uh, I don't know. I'm sure Surrey has its, uh, um, uh, rough streets and, and stuff sure. too, but, um, uh, it's a, it, it's a new, uh, experience. He's obviously he is a black man, but he doesn't, uh, uh, fit in with uh, the the culture at first, but he's taken under uh, under the wing of, uh, of of a neighbor and sort of soon becomes obsessed with a lot of the the the, the small axe films are obviously that their mission statement is they are all about the black experience in in Britain. They so far are all pretty specifically London, but also the other thing they all have in common is a preoccupation with music and with. Uh, De- defining black community in many ways through um the shared musical language musical taste musical knowledge and once again true to form uh, alex weedle is the same thing this is this ends up becoming his way in he falls in love with reggae he already likes reggae actually that before he comes to london that's kind of uh, uh what um spurs him on he ends up uh uh 
building his own uh sound system which he's like a party dj this is a whole other uh culture uh tyler that uh uh there's a a movie from 1980 called Babylon that uh, is is about this, and luckily I've seen that movie, so I understand um, a little bit about this this culture of of um, you're a party DJ, but you also are an MC, and you have your own speakers, and there's a sort of uh, competition to see who can have like the best loudest speaker sound system. Anyway, it's this whole uh, so it becomes a part of that, uh, and then this isn't a spoiler. Eventually, goes to prison. It's not a spoiler because that's uh, the um, framing device um but uh it's it and i feel like a hypocrite content like a sort of docking points from red white and blue for doing the same thing of ending before it feels like the story in a traditional sense starts but that's what's kind of great about like there's a more traditional movie about this person to be made in which the uh uh, move to London is the first act in his prison experience. And the fact that his um, cellmate is a, um, uh, uh, a very well-read believer in um, uh, black, I don't know, black nationalism. Maybe I'm not sure exactly what, uh, what uh, his, how to describe it, but he's a, he's a black intellectual. And so he starts reading and stuff. And so that there's a more conventional movie to be made about like that then goes into third act where it's like these formative experiences turned him into, but the movie just kind of ends when he gets out of prison and we kind of get to, I guess, guess where he goes from there. Um, and like I said, that same approach didn't entirely work for me. Left me a little cold with red, white and blue. I really like it here. So, you know, movies are, it's not a science, you know, yeah, sometimes yeah. things work and sometimes they don't, they work. I definitely, uh, recommend, uh, Alex, Alex I think lover's rock is still my favorite of the small X movies. I have yet to watch education, which is the final one, but Alex Weedle might be second to lover's rock. Okay. I don't know. Mangrove is also really good, but, uh, all right, it's your turn. All right. So this is a rewatch, a film I haven't seen in a couple of uh, years when I saw it in theaters, uh, as you know, Jen and myself, uh, we are working our way through the Star Wars movies in the order of events. Mm -hmm. So we watched the prequels, and then this week we uh, this past week we watched Solo, a Star Wars story directed by Ron Howard. Eventually, um, have you seen it? I forget. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I liked I liked Solo. You know, I, I'll say this: I I think I when I first saw it, I didn't love it. I think I was turned off by the amount of fan service. Uh, in it but watching it again like you know once once you know that that's there uh you can kind of just put that to the side and just watch the film as is and i definitely liked it a lot more this time um i mean i liked alden alden ehrenreich's performance the first time i watched it but i really appreciate what he's doing here that he's really not trying to do a harrison for he's trying to evoke Han Solo as played by Harrison Ford instead of, and just trying to avoid Harrison Ford in general. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I really like his performance. Uh, and then one thing that I really was struck by is just how much action there is in this movie. I mean, it, there are a couple like quieter moments uh, where characters are, are kind of getting to know each other, but for the most part, I mean, it's like one sequence after another and it's kind of, uh, and it's really well done. I, you know, I, I forget how solid a director Ron Howard can be. 
um, and how reliable he can be when when doing something like uh, Apollo 13 or Rush, like something that requires like, you know, a very, uh, you know, high octane. Kinetic, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, kinetic kind of thing. Um, and so uh, there are so many sequences and different types of sequences um, in this in this film that are very thrilling. Jen was really enjoying, she hadn't seen it before. She was really enjoying herself, seemed very genuinely engaged uh, in what was happening. Um, and then, frankly, it's possible that one of the reasons that I like it now is because is that I just watched the prequels. <laughs> and so, uh, and so there's a, there's a moment you, you may recall where, um, you know, one of the standard lines of the star Wars movies is, uh, I've got a bad feeling about this. And there's this moment where, uh, Han is, is going, is about to fly the millennium Falcon into a very dangerous place. And he says, he says, I've got a really good feeling about this. And, you know, obviously it's a play on this other thing, but they sell it a hundred percent and they make it into a character thing that this is a very dangerous thing, but this character is so cocky and maybe a little bit oblivious that, uh, that this is the kind of thing he would say. And so it winds up working on, on a couple of levels. And when you see how poorly George Lucas himself used that line, I remember you calling uh, that out. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you come to realize that like there, there's more going on in, in solo than, than I remember uh, initially. I, and I think there's more going on than just, you know, the, the fan service, which I think distracted me a little bit at, at, at first, but now as far as like the characters and some of the action sequences, uh, I definitely, I definitely liked it a lot more this time. I think it's a really, really fun movie. Yeah. I like Woody. Yeah. He's um, great. And yeah, I, I'm glad you mentioned the, um, the, the action, uh, set pieces they're uh they're what i liked about the movie and i think um the 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 trick tyler as i've learned to not being bothered by fan service is to stop caring about star wars to the point where you don't even sure. notice it um yeah uh, uh and so i was able to just enjoy the action sequences obviously the opening train heist is is super cool but i, I think my favorite is the the sort of escape type scene right before the castle run scene you know yeah. uh, oh it's great that's that's a very cool sequence yeah all right um Moving on, I will, I will I will talk about this one very briefly because okay. it is unfortunately terrible. Um, it's a movie called Wander Darkly, which stars Sienna Miller and Diego Luna, um, and also the great Beth Grant. Um, and uh, do you know the character actor Brett Rice? Uh, no. You'd recognize him if you saw him. Sure. Um, I'm looking him up. I'm not looking up the movie. I'm looking him yeah, up. Yeah, you can look up Brett Rice because I feel like he's the kind of character actor you would recognize um anyway uh oh, him. yes yeah <laughs> so uh sienna miller and Diego luna play a, uh, a couple who have just had uh, a kid they're going through you know you, you get the impression that she wanted the kid more than he did and they're, just, they're sort of uh going through a rough time and then uh, in the middle of an argument uh, they get into an awful car accident and then the rest of the movie so sienna miller's character maybe dies in the car accident. The rest of the movie is from her point of view in which she's going through a life that she thinks is either that she's a ghost in or that this is all in her head. And then she's also like, so she's talking to Diego Luna, her husband about the fact that what's happening is not really there. And then she's relieving memories of their relationship together with him and saying, this is what happened. This is what happened. Uh, it's all, 
it shot like um an early 2000s uh, network tv show like um uh, a lot of wide angle like sort of um steady cam but bright colors like it feels like a joss whedon type of show um uh the 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 dialogue and where this is going is very obvious it feels and this is why i haven't written my review up so a sneak preview of what i'm going to say in my review i put this in my notes it feels like a stage play version of eternal sunshine of the spotless mind adapted by a teenager (laughs) that's what it feels like uh unfortunately because i will say it's um I try to say something nice. I've always been a Sienna Miller fan and I think she acts the hell out of, uh, out of this material uh, as best she can at least. But uh, the thing is just so dumb uh, in its bones that there's, uh, there's no saving it. Despite the fact that she actually made me feel emotions uh, uh, at, at some point. So um, good on you to Sienna Miller. I hope uh, you get, better roles uh yeah. in the future to knock out of the park um do you like sienna miller i can't remember if you're uh, a fan uh, i think i'd say i'd say i'm fairly neutral i think what i've seen i've i've thought was pretty good um but uh she has not really struck me one way or another that i would say i'm a fan nor do i dislike her all right um and then finally uh i will talk about you know i've talked about uh, a lot of bad movies on this episode or a lot of okay movies i'm about i want to talk about a movie that i watched last night and i was like that was really good and then been thinking about it all day today and i'm like i think that movie is great okay and this is the new steven soderbergh film let them all talk okay which uh we talked about on the winter movie preview but i don't know if you remember or i'll just say this for the listeners benefit uh if anyone remembers um the 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 idea behind this movie is that um it takes place on essentially a cruise ship but really it's a luxury liner crossing from new york to um to uh southampton england um it takes place on there it was shot on there and all the stuff that takes place on board there's a bit before and a bit after the 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 trip that take place on land and were shot on land but everything on the ship was shot on the ship during an actual crossing and was shot in chronological order. Oh, that's um, and the cast is terrific. So the premise is, um, uh, Meryl street plays, uh, uh, a celebrated author who's being given a very prestigious prize in London, but for ver- for, for various reasons, she is unable to fly. And so her agent played by Gemma Chan, um, books them uh, uh, on uh, the Queen Mary 2, which is a real ship, or at least pre-COVID, was a real ship that made this uh, crossing. Um, uh, but she ends up getting the tickets for free because Meryl Streep, because Alice is her name, uh, agrees to give a talk on board the ship during the crossing. And she's allowed to bring over, bring across some friends. So she brings the only family she's close to her nephew played by Lucas Hedges. And then she plays her two best friends from college whom she hasn't seen in over 30 years played by Candace Bergen and Diane Wiest. Oh, so how, yeah, how about this fucking cast? A great cast yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. Uh, and so it's, um, you know, there's drama that goes on about what the, you know, Jim and Chan's character has some ulterior motives uh, uh, as the agent. Um, and then, uh, uh, Meryl Streep's character wants to reconnect and Candace Bergen's character is maybe carrying some, there's plenty of drama to, to be had. Uh, and, and you'll find that there's also plenty of comedy. The movie's very funny. Um, plenty of that, that I, that I won't really spoil. What I really want to talk about 
is the bizarre experience of watching let them all talk right now <laughs> because steven soderbergh is a, a a movie a filmmaker who makes movies at this point so just according to his own on his own yeah cognitive cognizances or whatever uh according to uh his own whims that and this is something we talked about with scott uh nye on the show a while back how i think it was back when we were doing that episode with scott about how movies are aren't are no longer culturally important in the way that they used to be sure. and part of the problem is that people especially mainstream filmmakers have a tough time seem to have a tough time making movies about the here and now and in so in, but in some ways let them all talk feels like like it was made now which it was uh it, it feels completely uh of the moment but in other ways by which i mean the fact that it takes place on a fucking cruise ship it feels like a relic of the ancient past yeah. uh and so that's a it's a really weird experience uh to to watch but um there are so many conversations about you know alice is this kind of author and uh, sorry alice did i say that's no ship's character's name alice is recall. okay alice is this kind of author and she is disdainful of the types of books that diane weist and kenneth bergen read read that are more uh um pop novels or whatever and and so she feels like she represents a dying thing but then uh also um uh uh lucas hedges who comes from uh, you know this very online type of age group looks at his aunt and her friends as being the last of a generation of authenticity, whatever the, the movie is about the idea that I say here and now, but a lot of us spend a lot of the here and now mourning the imagined authenticity that has just perished. Do you know what I mean? We're always saying like, Oh, things we've lost this part of, ourselves as part of our society but really things are just changing they're just going forward and there's yeah. you know there's there's nothing wrong with being alive now and and recognizing what it means to be alive now um again all of which is a weird thing to say in a movie that takes place in this what has very suddenly become a relic of the past i mean yeah I, i'm I'm cynical enough about human nature to feel that cruise ships will probably come back, come all the way back as soon as this is over because sure. <laughs> people won't learn uh, their lessons. The same thing about buffets as my wife is like, I can never imagine like, will buffets ever be back? And I'm like, Oh yeah. But like people will eat at buffets the second they can, no matter, even though we all know they're gross now, the second we can all eat at buffets, people will, you might like Natalie might not eat at buffets cause she's might be permanently grossed out by them now. Sure. But, uh, most of us will. And by the way, including me, I will probably of course, yeah. uh, eat it, uh, an Indian buffet or something. Um, uh, you know, within the next 12 months, um, what else is there to do in Las Vegas except eat at buffets? <laughs> uh, there's plenty to eat in Las Vegas. Yeah, I know, um, I know. Uh, but yeah, buffets is a, is a big part of it. And Las Vegas is also something that seems like it's weird that Las Vegas is happening yeah. right now. Um, cause I think about it all the time. Cause I'm a big, Natalie and I are big Vegas people. We go multiple times a year. Like I have, I keep having these thoughts of like, man, I miss Vegas, but it's like, I could go, like <laughs> I can legally go to Vegas and gamble and have a Vegas weekend. I just, 
like wouldn't and, yeah. and, and shouldn't uh, right now. And even if you were so inclined, my guess is if you went today, uh, it would be such a different experience. It would be probably a little bit depressing. Um, like oddly enough, I driving around, um, you know, it's not just that I'm not really hanging out with anybody, but, uh, I was, for some reason the other night I was driving around and, and I was like looking at restaurants that were open, but you know, the, there was nobody in there like there. So it was just for takeout and all that as, as it should be. But, you know, they had a patio that was empty everything was empty inside. And I realized like, I actually find, I actually find myself getting sort of energized at the notion of, even if I'm not a part of it, of people hanging out and, and socializing with one another and just having a good time. Um, and so just, it's, it's a weird byproduct of, of, uh, COVID and the shutdowns that like, when I see all of these, all, all these businesses and restaurants, especially, which, you know, play into, socializing and, and enjoying yourself with other people. And I see that that is that like, there are these establishments that are meant for a very specific thing and they're not being used for that, or they're being only used for only a, fr a fraction of what they're meant for. Uh, it really, it bums me out oddly enough. So like, you know, you might go to Vegas, like putting aside health concerns, you might go to Vegas and be like, wow, like there are a lot fewer people here. This is great. But I think I would be bummed out. It's like, yeah, but it's not, this isn't how it was meant to be. Don't get me wrong. I don't know about that. Vegas one way or another, but uh, yeah, no, I definitely you know. get that. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I wanted to say about let them all talk other than uh, absolutely check it out uh, whenever you can. I don't remember how it's being released or where, cause I'm like I said, I'm bad at that, but uh, yeah, it's a truly great movie. All right. So my last film is David Fincher's Mank. Um, I was recently on the out now podcast uh, talking about it and Boy, this is a hard movie to talk about. Um, because here's the deal. Being a Wells fan as I am, being a Citizen Kane fan as I am, uh, and having read the books that I've read and watched the documentaries that I've watched, and th this is like everything that the movie is referencing is something that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. If you have not obsessed about the making of Citizen Kane, or Orson Welles, or Herman Mankiewicz, or William Randolph, if you have not obsess obsessively researched this stuff, you might still enjoy the movie, but like it is really, it really seems to, I, I think this is probably to its credit, um, it is assuming that you know all the players. It is assuming that you know all hmm. this stuff already. It's not, it's not, it doesn't really stop to, to catch you up. Um, it just, just takes that sort of as a baseline and moves forward with it. It assumes that, you know, I mean, if you're watching Mank, chances are, you know, who Louis B. Mayer is. Um, and that's probably a fair, that's, it's probably a fair assumption, but it just always moves forward. And the idea that like, oh, Joseph Mankiewicz was, was uh, Herman's brother. And he, and he also would go on to have a tremendously uh, successful career uh, or a much more successful career in Hollywood. So I think it just, it, it just takes all that as a given. And I think that's fine. So like I was able to, I was able to follow it. Um, but I do wonder if, if people who aren't as steeped in Wells and Kane lore, if they would, if they might find it a little bit boring or at least they just be like, I don't know what this is. I feel like a lot of people are having a conversation that I was never meant to be a part of. Mm. Um, but the film is shot in not merely in black and white, but also with 
that that old time sensibility like its use of shadow is really beautiful uh even its sound design feels of the era and then the music which is of course by uh atticus ross and trent Reznor, uh evokes that time yeah that so, I've, I've listened to that on, on yeah. spotify it's and uh, it's it's amazing it's really good, so, yeah. so much of the film technically is uh astonishing and i think the performances are really good uh as well um i mean gary oldman obviously is getting a lot of a lot of play as is um amanda seyfried i would also mention uh arliss howard who plays uh louis b mayor i think he does a great job i've always liked arliss howard and it's nice to see him get to play a character who's kind of uh, bigger than life and, and all of that, uh, you know, and then there's, then there's the, you know, my personal objections to the, the, what the film is doing. Um, and so it's one of those things where like, if I were a Bruce, I, I finally feel, I finally understand, like, if you're a Bruce Lee fan and you watch once upon a time in Hollywood, you're like, Hey, <laughs> and, you know, being a Wells fan and being very familiar with that, that old, that old concept that like, Mankiewicz wrote the entire wrote the entire script. Uh, Wells did not write a single word and had Wait, nothing did, to do with it. Sorry, Was did that? you say who plays Wells yet? Oh, it's Tom Burke. Pardon me. Um, From the souvenir. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's I not. Like he doesn't. You know, partially as a function of of what the movie is doing, he's not really in it that much. You hear his voice, and it's a really good vo- uh, vocal impression. Um, but he really doesn't play much of a role here because Mank wrote Mank is writing this thing, and Wells. The idea is that Wells was going to take ex- exclusive credit for it, and then eventually reluctantly uh, shared credit with Mankiewicz. Like that's that's the idea that was has been put forth by some people, including Pauline Kael in the nineteen seventies. That has been very thoroughly debunked by, uh, among others, Peter Bogdanovich. Um, if you've read the the essay Raising Kane by Pauline Kael, and then you read The Kane Mutiny by Paul, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, they're both very well written. Uh, only one of them is well researched. Um, and it, so it's just one of those things where like, I, because of what they're also doing, which is talking about, um, you know, 1930s socialism and the way they're sort of using this idea of Mank being sort of this exploited studio guy. Um, and, you know, for the, he, he's being exploited and his, his work is being, you know, uh, uh, I don't know, his work is being, what do you call it? Uh, sort of appropriated by Wells. Um, Bastardized? Bastard. I don't know what you'd call it, but uh, essentially I'll just say claimed it's being claimed by Wells is like, well, you know, this is mine because I'm the one that paid for it. Like, so I think it is trying to use this very specific story uh, to make larger points about like exploited workers and that sort of thing. So I, I understand what it's doing there, but it is one of those things that just, it as a Wells fan. And again, as a Wells fan who, who knows the ins and outs of this, uh, I am often very frustrated by it, you know, um, I don't mean to suggest that Mankiewicz does not deserve credit. He did write the 320 page screenplay that Wells then cut down to 120 pages, changing dialogue and rewriting it as he went. So obviously Mankiewicz like played a giant part in that screenplay and he gets, you know, he's billed over Wells in, in that. But uh, there are some that would say that like, no, Wells didn't do anything. And it's like, well, how did it get from 320 to 120 then? It, it, and also, again, rewriting as he went. And that was something that I, I always liked the way Peter Bogdanovich wrote, it, uh, wrote about it, which is, you know, the idea that Wells, who regularly uh, would rewrite Shakespeare, the idea that he would not touch a word of the deathless prose of Herman Mankiewicz uh, is a little bit uh, naive. Um, but uh, anyway, the thing that I, one of the things that I really like about 
the movie just as a concept is that for film fans, if you don't necessarily know all this stuff, it will probably inspire you to go watch stuff and read stuff. It will inspire you to probably go watch The Cat's Meow, which is a marvelous movie. Uh, RKO 281, the, the HBO uh, film. Uh, it'll inspire you to go and read uh, the Pauline Kael essay and then the, the Peter Bogdanovich re- rebuttal. Um, and so in that way, it really is kind of a celebration of movies from this era and and just film history in general, regardless of where you land on like who deserves the credit. It's just it 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 can invigorate like the movie lover in you uh, to to delve more for, uh, to delve more deeply into into this period and so in that regards like there there I have issues with with it and the stance that it's taking but as a movie it's still really interesting but then of course it would be interesting to me because I already know a lot of this stuff so it's it's a movie that I recommend but I it I recommend it with a lot of asterisks because you might be bored or frustrated by it if you don't if you go in like having only watched Citizen Kane and that's literally it uh, you might wind yourself just find yourself just frustrated by it but I think it's still worth watching if for no other reason because of the technical aspects mm-hmm.